Now it's my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Sandy Schoonmaker. Sandy became a Christian, or has started attending Cornerstone since 2012, and she became a Christian through McLean Bible Church in 2007. And uh, she's uh, pretty much a native of Northern Virginia, but she's been living in Leesburg now um, for for several years with her husband and her 91-year-old mother. What a blessing that must be. So uh, let's welcome Sandy. Is my, oh, it's working. My microphone is working. Do I need to stay farther away from it so it doesn't make that noise? Or are you going to adjust? You'll adjust it? Okay. Well, hi there. Uh, wow. What a beautiful audience. I love talking to women, and I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm so honored that I get to speak here at Cornerstone. Um, When I get nervous, I forget what I'm going to say, and that's why I have my words on paper. I'm going to try not to read it, but (laughs) it's here. This is my safety net. Um, So let me just tell you my stats. Um, You know, my name is Sandy. Uh, uh, I'll be 52 years old in six weeks, and I've never had any children. I live with my husband, and um, like we said earlier, my 91-year-old mother-in-law, who will also be 92 in six weeks. And, uh, and it is a blessing. It's a, it's a real privilege to live with her. Um, I imagined that there were going to be a lot of young mothers here for this morning session. Um, but it looks like there are many in this audience who are in a similar season of life that I am. Uh, If I start taking stuff off, it's because I'm having a hot flash. Um, So, um, There may be some of you here that will relate to some of the events of my early life, because I'm going to tell you what it was like when I was young. And, um, And I've prayed before I came here that that I won't say anything that's going to stir up your own trauma. It's not my intention to make anyone here feel uncomfortable. Um, I simply feel like I need to tell you how bad it was in order for you to really comprehend the amazing miracle of Christ in my life and the way that he has transformed me. Um, it's, it's still mind-blowing for me. <laughs> so I promise you that although some parts of my story are really terrible to hear, um, that there will be a happy ending. And I haven't seen it yet. I'm not there yet, but I know it's going to be great. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so... As Christians, we all know that the enemy has been defeated, right? And when we think about the cross, we don't dwell on it. I mean, it's terrible. It's horrible, and it makes us sad, maybe, to think about his pain and his suffering. But we don't dwell on it because we know that what he went through was necessary in order for wonderful things to follow. And I think the same is true of my story. Um, I really believe that um, if I hadn't gone through the things that I'd gone through, that I wouldn't be here today. Probably wouldn't have been saved if I didn't need a Savior, right? (laughs) So so I'm grateful for all of it. Um, I'm here to testify to you how I came to know Jesus and what my life was like before I met him. And I also want to tell you um, what he's doing in my life today. So let me tell you a little bit about my young life. I'll just go over um, some main things. I just want you to get a picture of what it was like. Um, I was born into a family that was really broken, um, broken by poverty, poverty, alcoholism, drug addiction, ignorance, violence, incest, um, 
even murder. I was both a witness and a victim of many of those things when I was very young. Um, My father was a very uh, violent alcoholic, and I didn't know him for long. Um, But I look back and I think, you know, that he was just a very, very sick man, maybe a psychopath, I don't know. But um, he was very violent. He, uh, he used rape as punishment. He, uh, he abused my mother, my brother, my sisters, and me. So he didn't single anyone out. And I think for me that was a blessing because I've talked to many women who um, were in abusive homes as children, and they were singled out for some reason. And I believe that for them it was much worse because they were wondering, why me? What did I do wrong? And in my case, because my father was cruel to everyone, I never thought it was my fault. I always knew from, I mean, just the youngest age that it had something to do with him more than it had to do with us. And that, I believe, was a a thought, a feeling that God placed in me when I didn't even know who he was. I'd never even heard of God. We didn't talk about God in in my family. Um, So my earthly father, um, he heard us. He heard our pets. Um, my sisters and I all loved animals, and he would he'd kill our pets, our household pets, with his bare hands. And we would cry, and we would beg him to stop. And he would tell us if we didn't shut up, he was going to do the same thing to us. And it was horrifying. When I was five years old, Um, I was out wandering the neighborhood like I did so much um, when I was preschool age. Um, I found a stray dog, and I lured it home, and I hid it in a bedroom for several days. Nobody even knew it was there. (laughs) And, um, And this was a dog that had been abused. It had scars on its body, and... um, and I just, oh, I loved that dog so much. He trusted me. He followed me everywhere I went. He protected me. And he died for me. So... That was actually my idea of what was normal. We lived in a really bad neighborhood. Um, most of the fathers, if there, if there were fathers in the homes, were um, blue-collar workers or unemployed. A lot of people where we lived were on welfare. Um, I remember going to um, elementary school first couple of years and... Um, Kids would compare bruises, you know, because we just lived in a really rough, rough place. And so I thought that was normal. I thought that loving fathers only existed on TV. And I used to fantasize about being adopted by Uncle Bill, you know, living with, uh, what was it, Jody and, and um, yeah. So my earthly father disappeared when I was six years old. Just disappeared one day. Left. Never came back. Thank you, Jesus. Best thing that ever happened to us. He just left. But then my mother died when I was seven years old. I didn't have any grandparents. Um, My grandparents actually were all dead before I was born. Um, I think that was poverty, too. You know, back then... We didn't have all the, the help that we have today. And, um, and people like my family who were originally um, in this country, hillbillies, you know, I was a little hillbilly from the Ozarks, 
um, they didn't really even seek much medical treatment, so people tended to die young. Um, and I always thought I'd die young, too. If I'd known I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. <laughs> so because I didn't have parents or grandparents, I was sent to live with a cousin. And I met this woman for the very first time when she came to get me. I didn't even know she existed until the day she showed up at our house. And she took me back to where she lived in Maryland. And she was young. She was only 23 years old. Um, she was broken in her own way. Um, she was sick. And, uh, and when I say Pete, these people were sick, my father was sick. My mother was sick. Um, this cousin I went to live with was sick. That's something that I've come to understand only through what I've learned from Christ, from reading his story and from, from reading the word. I know that hurt people hurt people, and that's enabled me to forgive the people from my past. Now, I have to tell you, it's easier to forgive people when you don't have to see them when they're not still hurting you. And so my heart goes out to those of you who may have people in your life who are hurting you currently. Um, I know that that makes it much more difficult to extend forgiveness. Um, So my cousin, she wasn't nice to me. She was pretty mean, um, physically and verbally. Um, She used to tell me that I was stupid, that I was clumsy, um, she was always saying I was no good, that my family was no good and I was no good and, and I would never amount to anything. Um, she reminded me almost every day that I was not her child, that I was a charity case, and if I didn't behave, she can get rid of me. And uh, I knew that she didn't love me. And I wanted so much to be loved. That, that was what I wanted. I wanted that dream family from TV. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be wanted. Um, so she had a husband. Um, it was her second husband that she had. Um, she divorced her first one shortly after I went to live with her because he was an alcoholic. And the second husband was nice to me. And, um, but I also knew that there was something wrong with him because when he was courting my cousin, he seemed to pay more attention to me. And I know now that there are men in the world who prey on women, who have little girls, that that's what they're looking for. And so my cousin, being young, she was out a lot with her friends. You know, she was at that age where she was still partying, going to concerts and things like that. And she left me alone with her husband a lot. And he abused me the whole time. And uh, they knew what had happened to me with my earthly father. Um, And I think, for some reason, this other man thought that that made it okay. You know, that I was already, I was already used to that. Um... Anyway, so that was, that was kind of a bad chapter in my life. and uh, So talk about getting out of the frying pan and jumping into the fire. Next thing that happens is one of my sisters turned 21, and she petitioned for custody of me, and she was made my legal guardian. Um, my sister, having grown up in our home with my earthly father, Um, was also a very sick person. And I got a monthly Social Security check because I was an orphan. And she would use that money to buy drugs. And when she didn't have any money, she used me. And she would make me go with the men who provided her with drugs. And if I didn't do what she wanted me to do, she would beat me. That's all that she knew how to do. That's the only way that she knew how to live. And unfortunately, I was forced to live that way, too. Um, This sister 
trying to think. This sister um, had a child, a two-year-old daughter, when I went to live with her. Um, but it was from some motorcycle gang guy. Um, it was called the Pagans. I don't know if it's like the Hell's Angels. I mean, that's who she was mixed up with. And um, and when this gang of men um, were supposed to be watching out for me one night when my sister left me with them, she said that they would um, take care of me. Um, they raped me, all of them. Um, and when she came back, I told her what happened. Um, I was hurt. I was bleeding a lot, but she wouldn't let me go to the hospital. And she wouldn't let me go to the police. And, uh, and I was pregnant. I got pregnant. And I had an abortion. And uh, boy, have I felt a lot of guilt and shame about that. Especially, especially since I've been saved. Especially since I've been in the church. And I've come to understand the, the, um, the precious gift of life. And, um, and I believe I've been forgiven. I believe that. I believe that God understands what was happening in my life at that time. And so today, I don't walk around with that guilt and shame. And I'm so grateful for the freedom that I've found in Christ. So I was on my own when I was 16. I was free. I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, I tried really hard to be self-sufficient, to build a life for myself. I didn't need any help. Thank you very much. Um, I just tried to do it all on my own, but I couldn't. Um, sometimes things would go well. I was pretty, I was pretty smart. I liked, I liked reading. I was articulate. And so I would get a decent job, but I couldn't keep it. I lost jobs. Um, I got evicted from apartments. I had cars repossessed. And I couldn't seem to hold on to a relationship with anyone. So um, I was still a mess. Sometimes I would meet good people, nice guys that I would date. Um, and I'd just sabotage everything that was good in my life. And I think it's because I didn't think I deserved anything good. I didn't think I was worth it. You know, I'd been told for so long that I was no good. Um, believed that I was worthless. But, you know, at the same time, I worked really, really hard to impress everybody. You know, I wanted everybody to think that I was worthy, that I was good. Um, so I, on the outside, I looked okay. And um, I felt like, I felt like an anorexic, you know, somebody who's really, really skinny, and they look in the mirror and they see a fat person. And I was like that because no matter how attractive I looked on the outside, no matter how attractive other people told me I was, when I looked in the mirror, I didn't see that. I saw someone who was no good. And it's taken me a long time to look in the mirror and love myself because I know that God loves me. And I've been told that um, God doesn't make mistakes. And he doesn't make trash. I used to feel like I was trash, trailer trash, you know. Um, but I don't feel that way anymore. So, I think my biggest fear, well, aside from the fact that I was afraid people would find out the truth about me. Because during those years when I was on my own, you wouldn't believe the lies that I told. I told big, whopping lies about where I came from and who my family was. I mean, just 
stupid, stupid stuff. I'm sure half the people I told didn't believe me, but you know, it was the only way I knew how to talk about it. Um, so I was afraid that they were going to discover the truth. But an even bigger fear, deep inside of me, I, um, I was afraid that the genes from my earthly father had been passed on to me. And I was so afraid that I was a bad person. Um, and I was always, you know, fighting. It was, I guess it was like a demon almost, you know, and, and saying, you know, I, I want to be good, I want to be good, and, and then being derailed all the time by self-destructive behavior and finding myself in really dangerous situations because I would, I would drink every day to get drunk and I was successful and I'd end up in places I shouldn't be with people I didn't know. And um, I put myself in a lot of danger and I didn't care if I died. I really didn't. And I had no idea at the time that God was keeping me alive. I didn't even know who he was. But I know now that he was keeping me alive because I shouldn't be here today. He intervened in my life um, by arresting, getting me arrested um, for drunk driving twice. Second time were pretty harsh penalties, and I was required to enter an addiction recovery program. And it was in this program. Um, that I stopped drinking and using drugs. I was very reluctant, um, but eventually I was able to stop with the support of the other people in the, in the recovery group. Recovery group. Um, my life got a little better. They told me that if I wanted to stay sober and stay off drugs, that I had to learn to pray, that that was an important part of recovery. And so I learned how to pray, even though I didn't know who I was praying to. And my life got even better after that. Um, Great things started happening in my life when I wasn't drinking and using drugs and when I was praying. And my prayers were real simple. It was in the morning. It was, you know, thank you for keeping me sober today or thank you for this day. Thank you for my life. And, you know, please help me today. And I've didn't know what else to say. So really good things started happening. I got a really high-paying job in D.C. with a lot of responsibility. I was eventually able to work from home. I bought a house by myself. And I had a new car in the driveway that wasn't going to be repossessed because I paid cash for it. So I thought I had arrived, you know. Um, and, of course, I took credit for all of it. You know, I did this, and I did that, and look at how great I am. It was all about me, me, me. Um, but I knew that something was still terribly wrong because I still couldn't get relationships. I had a lot of trouble with relationships. I couldn't hold on to relationships with decent people. I'm sure it had something to do with the fact that I didn't think I deserved it. Um, But I knew something was terribly wrong. One of the problems was that I had no moral compass. Nobody ever taught me about morality. I was doing things that were not good, and I didn't know it. So at that time, I desperately needed a savior, and I didn't know it. But as it would happen... When I was buying my house, my home inspector was this good-looking, tall guy who my realtor said, hey, he's single. (laughs) And she was kind of playing matchmaker, so I married this guy. And um, he grew up in McLean Bible Church, this huge church in Tyson's. And when he first started going, it was a little teeny church. Um, But that's where he grew up. And so he took me there, and that's where I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life. And McLean Bible Church is great. They have all these classes. I don't know if any of you have ever been there, but they have amazing classes to teach um, new believers about Christianity and the Bible and 
and all that. So um, I took all the classes and I read the Bible and, you know, I just, I loved to learn. And I realized at that time that this was from God. God had given me this passion for reading and learning. That was one of the great gifts that I'd been given that I didn't even recognize until then. So it was amazing. You know, I was reading the Bible from beginning to end, and I'd read one, you know, the Recovery Bible, and then I'd get the Charles Stanley Bible, and then I'd get the Life Application Bible, and I just couldn't get enough, you know. And, um, and I was transformed. It's not just words in Scripture. It really did transform my thinking. My behavior changed dramatically. I remember throwing out all my low-cut tops and all my short, tight skirts and um, getting rid of all the um, bad music that I was listening to. I mean, Christina Aguilera and, you know, Janet Jackson. And I got rid of all those CDs. Um, My favorite uh, TV show was Sex in the City. You know, I wanted to be like those women. And I had the whole DVD series, and I threw those away. And um, I was, I smoked, I quit smoking. Um, So there was an immediate effect on my behavior. So all this outside stuff changed, but took a really long time. And it's still taking time for the inside to change. So I really had this thirst to know God. And I know he planted that desire in me. And... I had a problem, though, because the idea of a father, even a good, good father, I just, I just couldn't, I couldn't grab a hold of that. It just didn't seem real to me. So I had a hard time envisioning this God. But then I started learning more and more about Jesus, and he was different. And... I realized that I could relate to him on so many levels. You know, he had been rejected by his own people. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was tortured. He knew what pain felt like. Also, I like the fact that Jesus loved the lepers and outcasts, you know, those people that nobody else loved, because I thought, But maybe, just maybe, he could love me, too. Because I felt like those lepers and outcasts, you know. The Bible says that Jesus is God. And and I learned that in these verses in um, uh, the first book, the, the first chapter in John, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, And the word was God. I learned eventually that that was referring to Jesus. And then later on in that chapter, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh. That's how I found out it was Jesus. And he dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus was somebody I liked, I could relate to. And I thought that maybe I could have a close personal relationship with him because the Bible said he could be my friend. And so that's what I sought. And I sought it with fervor. I wanted to know him. I wanted him to be my God. And it was amazing to me that that was possible. So I'm talking about amazing grace, you know, the kind of grace that's, that's sung about and talked about. And I, I felt it. I've experienced it. And um, I learned so much in his word. I learned so much from pastors, um, teachers like Beth Moore. I love her courses. Um, I I just took every class I could take. Um, So this isn't me. I'm not self-taught. You know, I got this from other people. God speaks to me through other people um, and through his word. 
For the word told me that I am his, that my DNA, my personality, my talents, my birthright, they all come from him, not my earthly father. What a relief that was. I mean, that, that just gave me so much freedom from that fear that I've been carrying for so long. And there are so many verses in the Bible that confirm that I'm a child of God, that I've been adopted into his family. We're all so reassured by that, aren't we? I mean, I needed to hear that because I wanted a family. Um, I love the fact that he says nothing can separate me from his love. I, um, I like the fact that I'm a vessel of the Holy Spirit. Well, that kind of blew my mind at first. I didn't really understand it um, at first, but I've come to understand what that means today. It's awesome to think that God's Spirit is in me and that I have power because of that. It's really amazing for someone who's always felt powerless. So the main thing that I've learned is that my relationship with God, the fact that I'm his child and I'm his creation, means that I'm not defined by what happened to me. I'm not defined by what people did to me. I'm not defined by my own sins, and there were many. And I'm certainly not defined by the sins of my earthly father. I'm a very grateful child of God. So um, how many of you have read The Shack or seen the movie? Yeah, it's, it's a great story. Um, it's fiction, it's a, but it's a great, great story. And in this story, um, Jesus is talking with a man whose little girl was abducted and murdered. And um, Jesus tells this man, that his little girl was never alone when that was happening. Jesus said, I was with her the whole time. She was never, ever alone, not for one instant. And that got me thinking that maybe Jesus had been with me when I was little. And that he loved me even then. That he knew me. That he was in those situations with me. It made me believe that I'm alive today because he protected me. That there was a spiritual battle taking place, you know, that I couldn't see. In the midst of all that violence and all that pain, I believe Jesus was saying to Satan, to the enemy, you can't have her. She's mine. I love that thought. I hold on to that, you know. That vision of Jesus fighting for me and claiming me for his. He does that for you all too, every one of us. So throughout my young life, I thought nobody loved me. Maybe nobody did. Um, But today, I have no doubt that I've been loved my entire life. I believe that Jesus fought for me because he has a plan and a purpose for my life. And I don't feel sorry for myself anymore. I used to. I don't. I feel blessed, and I can see the blessings that took place even in those early years. When I think back, okay, so um, I was the youngest of seven children. And my mother couldn't even take care of the six that she had. You know, she was sick. She, she was an alcoholic, but she was also sick with cancer. She didn't want another child. Um, but Jesus wanted me to be born, so I was born. And, um, and also, the other blessing is that as the youngest of seven children, I suffered the least damage. So I really feel like he had a hand on me the whole time, that I was chosen for some reason, you know. Two of my sisters... <laughs> had babies by my father when they were really, really young, like 13, 12 and 13. Um, 
And what a blessing it is that I was so young at that time that that didn't happen to me. And fortunately, um, my siblings didn't survive all that pain and abuse. Um, I don't think any of them are alive today. And so I marvel all the time that I seem to have been chosen for some reasons. Like, you know, when I say why me today, I'm not saying why me, why, you know, poor me. I'm saying why me, why am I so blessed? Why am I still here and they're not? And the only answer I can come up with is because there's something I'm supposed to do, that he has a plan for me. So remember I mentioned that um, my dad just disappeared one day, my earthly father? I think that was part of Jesus' plan. Because if he hadn't disappeared, I would have had to have lived with him after my mother died. I don't think that was just an accident. Um, And the dogs, the dogs that have given me comfort and protection when I was young and still give me comfort today. I really, really believe that they were gifts from God, like angels kind of in my life. You know, the Bible says that God um, has angels that, our guardians, you know, who protect us. And those dogs protected me. They gave their lives for me. So I also know now that Jesus blessed me with a love of learning that I had even when I was that little. I don't, I, I don't know where it came from. You know, it didn't come from my parents. It didn't come from my siblings. It had to have come from God. I wanted to learn. I wanted to read. Um, That was a gift. I think it was a saving grace for me. So I know that he's also the one who's made me a kind and compassionate person. I mean, I certainly didn't get that from my earthly father. The Lord's been so, so good for me. So good to me. He's loved me so much. And so whatever you guys think when you leave here today, don't feel sorry for me. Don't, because I am blessed. I have a really, really good life today. So the way I live my life today is that I look for women who are broken and who don't know the love of Christ, because I really believe that that's what my Lord wants me to do. When I find these women or when they find me, I tell them that I've been there, that I know what it's like, that they're not alone. And I tell them about the one who redeemed my life. And I tell them that he can redeem theirs too, no matter what, no matter what they've done, no matter what happened. So Jesus gives me lots of opportunities to connect with these women. And I know that what they need to hear more than anything is me too. That they're not alone. That somebody else knows what they're going through or what they've, what they've experienced. And often when I meet these women, I share some details of my life. Especially if I think there's something particular that they might relate to. And when I do this, when I share some of my stuff, my ugly stuff... I think it opens the door for them. It gives them the courage to admit something that they've never told anybody. I used when I was single, I used to go to the juvenile jail every week and I'd meet with the girls there. And sometimes they would confess to me things that they'd never told anyone, you know, about being molested by their stepfathers or their mom's boyfriends, things like that. Um, But they never told me until after they heard my story. So I know today that my experience, all that stuff that I went through, it's a gift. Because if I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't be able to share it with these people, these women, and I wouldn't be able to help them. Because when they look at me, when I go to the juvenile jail or the adult attention center or rehab or wherever, I see the looks on the women's faces. They look at me and they go, what do you have to say to me that, I, you know, that I'm going to be interested in? You know, they, one of the women said after I'd shared some of my story, oh, I thought you were one of those Susie cheerleader do-gooders, you know. <laughs> and um, 
So anyway, that's what I did a lot of when I was when I was single, when I didn't have a husband and a home and, and, a, and a mom to take care of. My mother-in-law is my mom. I've adopted her. Um, so anyway, I think that when I talk about these bad things and, and the other women are encouraged to talk about the bad things that they've experienced, and sometimes for the very first time, um, I think what happens is the pain and the suffering and the shame and the guilt, it gets brought out into the light, into God's light. And its power is diminished, right? Because all that stuff is from the enemy. And when it's in the light of, of Jesus, it becomes less powerful, maybe even powerless to harm us, as long as we can recognize that and accept it. So I believe that when I'm talking to these women, the women who don't know Christ, and when they confess to me these things that they've experienced, and they're saying to me, you know, I just can't keep this secret anymore. I can't carry this alone anymore. I think that's the exact kind of surrender that's needed to open the door to a faith in Christ for me to say, well, let me tell you about who changed my life and who healed me. And I tell them about his, his love and his power and his way of life. And I tell them about that way of life and how they can live. I say, you don't have to live this way anymore. You can change. I changed. And, um, and one of the things I try to do is just walk alongside these women I'm not their teacher. I'm not a pastor. Um, I certainly don't know it all. In fact, um, the more I learn, the less I know, or the less I realize I know. But I can walk along beside them, and I can point them to Christ. You know, whenever something happens or whatever they're going through, I can say, look at him. So Jesus has taught me that one of the most important things I can do in this life is put to use what he redeemed. And I was reading the Bible one day, and I can't remember the verse, but it said something about how it's a sin if we don't use our gifts and our talents. You know, as children, we're taught to let our, little, let our light shine, right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And so that's what we're supposed to do. And I want to do that because more than anything, I want to please him. And I know that I'm often wrong. I know that sometimes um, I make mistakes. But I do believe that my desire to please him pleases him, even when I'm I'm wrong. (laughs) So um, I still have wounds, just like Jesus did, remember? He, he still had the holes in his wrists and in his ankles when he came from the grave, when he was resurrected. So I still have wounds. I have scars. And, um, and there are days when I feel broken and I really struggle to get out of bed and show up for life. I have nightmares sometimes. But they've gotten better and better and better the closer that I've come to Jesus So Jesus said that my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. I read that verse over and over again, and I didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to me. How can strength be made perfect in weakness? I hated my weakness. I was ashamed of it. But then someone taught me a way to understand this concept, and it looks like this. I love this imagery. So... The word teaches us that we're vessels through which God shines his light. And so we think of ourselves as vessels, as clay pots, as you, if you will. So imagine that a person is a clay pot, a really strong one, a tall one, with, um, with really thick sides, you know, um, that this really tall, sturdy pot, if you put a lit candle in it, you wouldn't be able to see the light shine through. 
And you probably wouldn't even see the light coming out of the top because it's nice and tall, right? But then imagine, now imagine someone is a clay pot that's smaller and weaker. And it's been used really hard and it's been mishandled. Maybe it's been dropped a few times. It has cracks in it and even holes. And if you put a burning candle in that pot, it is going to shine through onto everyone who is near it. And that's me. I'm a cracked pot. And I'm happy about it. I've learned to accept it and embrace it. Jesus took me, a damaged vessel that had been in the dark for a very, very long time, and he brought me out into the light. And he put me where people could see me. And that's the miracle of me being here, standing here and talking to other groups. He shines his light through me. And he's given my life a purpose. And he's given me beauty for ashes. One of my favorite verses. I love that beauty for ashes. I thank the Lord every day for my life, even the bad days. I thank him for this church where I get closer to him every single week. I love the fact that we study the Bible here. I think of our pastor as more of a teacher than a preacher, and I love that because I love to learn. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for the women who have walked alongside of me. A couple of you are here. Women who have showed me how to be a woman of God and they've shared my burdens and they're so important to me. So I learned recently um, about the process of sanctification. I was using my Bible reference because I wasn't really quite sure what that meant. And I know now that this process of being sanctified, of being made holy, that it's never going to be over until I leave this life, right? So I'm still a work in progress. But Jesus has carried me so far from where I've been. He's made me more than just an overcomer. You know, I hear people talk about being an overcomer. There's a woman who, who sings a song, right, about being an overcomer. So that would have been enough if that's all I was, just an overcomer. I would have been okay with that. But he's using me in the process of lifting other women up from the clutches of the enemy. That's a lot better than just being an overcomer, just, you know, living a nice, quiet, peaceful life. So it's a really awesome commission. He does things in my life every day that I never would have dreamed of. And I really can't wait to see what he's going to do with me next. And I hope that as he blesses me, I'll be able to continue to bless others. And I hope that if there's anyone here today that would like to talk with me sometime, meet for coffee, come to my house, I take care of dogs at home now. I'm a dog sitter, and they come to my house. And so if you like dogs, I find them very comforting. Um, You can come to my house and just sit and pet dogs. I've had women do that. They come over with a dog in their lap or one on each side, and they just weep, and they weep. And it's very healing. So I hope to get to know you all. And that's all I have to share. And I'm really grateful that I was invited today by Krista. Um, I'm very grateful to be able to share my story with you to give my testimony. Thank you.
Krista comes to close um, with Sovereign God, I just thought maybe there was a, a few of you here this morning that maybe you feel um, worthless or broken or a little bit like a cracked pot. <laughs> and you would be the perfect one to be able to pray for them this morning. So okay. as we bow our heads, would you just pray? I will. And God knows um, exactly who you are. That's the wonderful thing about our Heavenly Father. Yes. So would you close with I some will. Prayer, Sandy? Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us your spirit and for your spirit being with us today and in us and all around us. You know everything, Lord. You know what we're thinking and what we're feeling, and you know if there are women in this room who are hurting, who need to talk and share what they haven't shared with others. Your word tells us that we are to share our burdens with one another and lift each other up to care for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus, I pray that your spirit will comfort those women here today who feel discouraged or broken or ashamed or guilty about anything. I pray that you will give them your peace and that you will give them the courage to talk to someone and to shine light into that darkness and to be healed of their pain and their suffering and to experience the joy of serving you and accepting your love, your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Father, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, you are our God. We praise you and we thank you and we worship you. Jesus, you are Lord, Lord above all. Your name is powerful, and it's in your name and because of you that we pray. Amen.